Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing today, Adam? I'm great. You look great. Ready and great. That's me. You look handsome. Hmm. Did you get a haircut? What are you buttering me up about? What's the bad news you're going to drop on me? I'm not giving you a shit sandwich. Ben, I'd say it's a, a great opportunity to bring back a beloved segment. Hmm. This is a tour story. Tour story! Of two podcasters. Welcome to the greatest generation! Who chose to leave their house, go on the road, and do their show in front of an audience. To find out what happens when things stop being edited and start getting real. The tour world. You know we're out on tour. You should know we've been out on tour for a little while, almost halfway through the Share Your Embarrassment tour. My philosophy has always been if you can remember being on tour, you weren't really there, man. Yeah. (laughs) I think I believe you and a lot of friends of DeSoto believe you too. (laughs) But uh, we came back with some really fun stories and experiences from our last leg, a peek behind the pod is that uh, we returned from our East Coast leg of the tour recently, and we got a great invitation from a friend of DeSoto to visit a very unusual place. To visit a home that he partly owns? That we all partly own? Sometimes uh, someone will slide into the DMs. This is why I love Bill Tilly. He's our, our filtration mm-hmm. in there. He's like, hey, guys, I, I got an offer from an FOD. It doesn't seem legit, but here you go. And the <laughs> offer was like, hey, I work in and around the White House. Do you want a tour? And this was a couple months ago that this person reached out. And, and you and I were like, we've gotten a lot of invitations to a lot of strange places. Most of them are bullshit. <laughs> But this one seemed legit because uh, it came with like uh, options for dates and times and like a link to a background check. And that that seemed pretty legit. Like on like the whitehouse.gov domain. (laughs) Right. Turned out it was legit. And friend of DeSoto, David, and um, you and me and Bill and Wendy. And then uh, David's friend, Louie, and his lady friend, Alyssa, all got to go on this tour of the West Wing and then like the executive office building of uh, that's like right next door to the White House, like within the grounds. And uh, boy, it was so cool and fun. Not something that uh, I ever expected to be <laughs> a part of uh, making a podcast about Star Trek and dick and fart jokes with you. I didn't expect it to be so chill. It was it was Sunday morning that we did this. Yeah. And I think part of what made it so cool was that it was so chill. Like next to nobody was there. Yeah. Everyone seemed to be in a in a pretty cool chill mood as far as like 
security and secret service and all that goes. Like, yeah, it was a good vibe. You at one point struck up a conversation with a secret service uh, uh, agent officer. I'm not sure. She was in uniform, not in like a suit. I believe that the term is secret servant. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and she was like super nice and like wanted to tell us about what it's like to have that job. And like, she was like telling us about how much she enjoyed getting to travel for work. And we were like, oh yeah, we travel for work too. <laughs> Pretty neat. I went to high school with someone who, uh, who became a secret service person. A secret servant, I believe is uh, what they prefer. And he said, I just missed him. Like he was at the white house that day. Wow. And I never thought in a million years that he would be there for any reason because I know what his posting is. And I was like, well, there's no chance of that. I didn't even try. But yeah, he was there. Wow. Pretty wild. Shoot. Yeah. Well, the highlights for me were getting to see the Oval Office, Mm -hmm. getting to sit at the desk from which the vice president records like addresses. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting how like some of the rooms in these buildings are set up for film and video production like obviously the the press room is and we took we the press room is like one of the few rooms in the west wing where you're allowed to take your phone and mm-hmm. and take pictures like we had to put all of our devices in a locker on the way in because of security concerns but there's also just offices in the executive office building next door that are like nice historic offices that are like, you know, wood lined and have like gilded ceilings and stuff. And they have camera equipment and like mixing boards and all of the things that we are used to using in our old careers to, to make videos. Yeah. It felt very familiar in that way in a very unfamiliar place. Yeah. And like equipment that I recognize like, Oh man, like I've used this like monitor on, you know, I've rented that for, for productions that I've used and, and stuff like that. And uh, it was a real treat. And then I think the the absolute best thing about the tour was getting to go uh, down into the basement to check out the, uh, the Truman Bowling Alley. <laughs> this place was great. This place had everything. It had every size of bowling shoe you could want. Up to like 16? Wendy made a sound when she saw it that I've never heard her make. It, <laughs> she was delighted by this whole scene. We almost didn't get to go in here because it was locked. And I was so disappointed. I wanted more than anything to see the bowling alley. But we passed by someone going in with a grocery bag full of uh, snacks and stuff. And we were like, well, what are you doing in the basement with a bag of snacks other than to go into the Truman Bowling Alley? So we kind of slow walked our way toward the elevator, noticed that they were going in, and then like tried to tailgate a little bit into the, hey, can we just peek in there real fast? See what's up? And this person allowed it. She was cool about it. She had to like run back to her office to get something else. And she was like, yeah, go sick. But like, you know, be quick because I got to, uh, I'll be back with with guests. And I guess uh, if you're a staffer there, you can reserve the bowling alley for stuff if you want to. What a treat. What a perk. The, the best thing of all was Adam picked up a ball and I guess David like knew how to, how to turn the, the system on so that the alley was activated. You, your first ball was a gutter ball, which... Now I picked up one pin. It was bad. And then your second roll, you, you, you picked up the spare. It was amazing. Nine pin spare. Yeah. The first ball was too light. That was the problem. Like I felt 
really in a hurry. Like there were like five different balls there and I and I just grabbed one and I was like, oh God, this is <laughs> no warm-ups or anything. Super light ball. Yeah. Whizzed it into uh just one in the corner, but then I picked up a heavy ball. Mm. My kind of heavy ball. Took the rest of them down. Yeah. It felt great. You picked up the one that was that was labeled Janet Reno's bowling ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't celebrate it, though, because it felt like it was a real secret thing, <laughs> you know? I was like, I was quietly excited for what I'd done. I I was really jazzed about doing that, and I could not let the group leave without doing it. I was like, is anyone going to bowl here? Come on! <laughs> I'm so glad you did it. My highlight was buying some uh, some White Castle hamburger sandwiches out of a vending machine right outside the bowling alley. And I thought it was very funny that they sold White Castle in the White House. Everyone had different comedy priorities on this tour. (laughs) Uh, We got to post some pictures and maybe some video into the the socials. I think that'd be fun to put out there. Yeah, I think uh, check our our YouTube for a video of Adam bowling at the White House and uh, check our Insta for some some highlights of our tour. Yeah. And our thanks to David for a great invitation and for trusting us to not be fuck-ups in his place of work. (laughs) You know, like, a lot of trust extended by him. It wasn't just one-way trust, you know? Yeah, yeah. He had to believe we weren't going to embarrass him too bad, and we didn't, so. That's a job where embarrassment could be a big, big deal. Embarrassment is a security risk to uh, folks in that line of work. I feel very lucky that he, he bet on us. Yeah. You know he's going to win that bet most of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Been risky behavior on today's episode of Star Trek Voyager. You want to get into what that's all about? Yeah, it's season six, episode 24, Lifeline. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Did you know that this episode is one of only two episodes in Star Trek history written by a cast member? No kidding. Robert Picardo, writing credit. Very rare. It feels like a Star Trek Directors Club is a big old table. It is. Filled with lots of folks. Check out the, the little table <laughs> on Star Trek Writers Club. It's just uh, him and Walter Koenig. That's it. I was struck by something, and I don't know if I've thought of this before and said it out loud and then forgotten that I thought of it or if this is the first time it's ever occurred to me. But this episode opens with uh, Reginald Barkley docking at Jupiter Station and it struck me that one of the like foundational jokes of our show when we call the USS Enterprise the entrepreneur comes from my wife and I walking past the Barclay Center in Brooklyn, New York, and her saying, it looks like the entrepreneur. And Barkley, famously a guy who everyone gets his name wrong and calls him Broccoli. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. we could call it the Broccoli Center just as easily as we call it the entrepreneur. It goes both ways. I was just tripping off that at the beginning of this episode. It was like almost all I could think about. All I could think about was how everyone who works on Jupiter Station is dead as a result (laughs) of what the synthetics do in season one of Star Trek Picard. 
Oh, did they kill everybody at Jupiter Station too? I think everyone in in any orbital platform dies, right? Wow. In the Sol system? I know that they fuck up Mars. I didn't know they fucked up Jupe too. I mean, Jupe isn't that far away from Mars, right? I mean, they're they're neighbors. It's far, it's far as hell. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it's way further than than Mars is from Earth. Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't work then. These guys are probably fine. Yeah, I'm sure they're fine. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, Barkley's here uh, to meet Dr. Zimmerman, a.k.a. Dr. Z, a.k.a. the dude who invented the EMH and does not give any fucks about the Starship Voyager. He thinks it's called the USS Pioneer. How does Reg Barkley still have a job at this point? <laughs> I mean, he famously was like the the inventor of the Midas array technology to shoot communication beams at the Voyager. But like, does that forgive all the fucked up stuff he's done over the course of a, like, what's the opposite of decoration if you're talking about a decorated career? Oh, uh, indecorous career? <laughs> yeah. He's got a very indecorous career. A, yeah. A sheaf of reports about all the bad things he's done. It was noted at the Academy more than once. But I think Admiral Paris probably like anointed him special guy because he got Admiral Paris on the radio with uh, somebody standing next to his son. <laughs> I think the linens do a lot of the work in this scene in conveying to us that Dr. Zimmerman is old and sick. Yeah. He's really layering him up. We didn't see Dr. Zimmerman that long ago, right? Like he came to Deep Space Nine to to scan the the doctor there. He seemed fine back then. Yeah. I mean, they rejected the Bashir-based EMH because they were worried it would uh, drink up the entire urine supply on all the ships that it was installed on, right? You mean this program is going to include all his personal likes and dislikes? That is why we bother to choose a human template in the first place. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the trivia about the Mark Ones is that they all got sent to do, like, menial tasks. Mm -hmm. the, the Bashir model asked for sewage duty. <laughs> Let me up in those pipes. I can assure you that the final product will be zesty. So Dr. Z is dying, and... Um, Barkley mentions that they're on the verge of establishing a ongoing comms link with the Voyager. Uh, but Barkley is here to to look in on Dr. Z, who is, uh, who is very unwell. After the theme, I really like how elegant and efficient this sequence is. Like, as a reminder for what this technology does. The camera just sort of pushes past the Midas array into deep space. And then finally ending on Voyager. That's how it works. Yeah. A little comms montage. Yeah. We catch up with the thing that is being communicated in the ass lab where Seven is receiving the uh, the signal. And it looks pretty beat up, like very staticky when she's looking at this stuff on screen. It's so scrambled you can hardly jack it to this. <laughs> yeah. The Admiral that's on, on camera, like, you can't even really see what he's working with, you know? Yeah. It's like, I assume he's hung. I'm, I assume he's swinging a hammer, but, I, you know, we can't tell. It's too scrambled. We cut over to the McLaughlin group with the whole senior staff watching. Issue one. Janeway tells the gang that uh, they're going to start getting monthly messages from this guy. Yeah. That's at least what I'm assuming, like this one guy. 
<laughs> is going to be who they're communicating with. Yeah. And they've got 17 hours to reply. She's like, so what this meeting is about is we need to decide as a team whether we pay for the premium cable package. To, to clear up the scrambling, Adam, to clear right. up all the, uh, so they can see all the good stuff. That's important. Yeah. They're not given any advice on how to get the hell home faster or anything. <laughs> Reginald Barkley did not give up on them. Yeah. It's too bad that it was Reginald Barkley that did not give up on them. Could have been anyone else. Yeah. There's the real kind of maternalistic conclusion to the meeting that I'm I'm sure you remember what it was like being a little kid and a parent would be like, now be sure to thank Barkley. <laughs> That's Janeway's message to the group. Like, look, yeah. you're going to get a chance to send messages home uh, as long as you get them done in the next 17 hours. But yeah. you got to thank Barkley. You got to thank Barkley. It's like, like when you have like a birthday party when you're like five and your parents make you sit there and write thank you notes for all the action figures you got or whatever. You're like, this sucks. This, is, this feels like homework. And then when I get the like scrawled, impersonal thank you notes from all my classmates when they have a birthday party, I don't give a shit about them. It's not like I treasure these fucking notes. Why do we do this? I never went to school or had friends like that. <laughs> thank you notes you, right now, like for adults, I think are great. You are you're an excellent thank you note sender. You you and your wife. I, I send and receive them all the time, but as a kid, never did. Maybe that's why I like them so much now. Oh, interesting. I mean, I like them now too, but uh, they were a drag when I was a child. And uh, speaking of notes that are drags, Neelix comes down to Six Bay with a letter for the EMH, and it is from Lieutenant Barclay, and it bears the bad news of, uh, of Dr. Zimmerman's illness. I really like Robert Picardo's take here. The guy just going about his business and then getting bad news. Yeah. I like that challenge for any actor. And he nails it here. How well did you know him? I've never met the man. Yeah, it's very interesting that all of the big acting challenges in this seem intentional. Like, I want to really stretch. I want to write an episode that really gives me a lot of sandbox to play in. Mm -hmm. An episode that that makes me kiss just everyone, just so many people. <laughs> An episode that is resplendent with babes. Acute subcellular degradation. Yeah, is the diagnosis. Doesn't sound good. Yeah, he's doing some research about this and uh, talks to Seven about the deal here, and it's um something that he thinks that Borg regeneration techniques might be able to help fix. Yeah. Just whap, whap, some assimilation nodules into that guy's neck. He'll be great in no time. Yeah. Seven notices on the screen that, uh, that the EMH and Dr. Zimmerman do bear a little bit of resemblance. And he says, uh, well, I partly wrote this episode to make out with myself. You could say it's my lifelong ambition. I can't believe I kissed you. Seven's got to be careful looking at the doctor's tabs. You know? <laughs> she might not yeah. always find something as innocent as Dr. Zimmerman's medical records, right? Yeah. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you 
see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. I like the proximity of this episode to the previous one because uh, he goes up to the captain's office and is like, hey, you remember the Vidians? And I was like, I remember the Vidians. We just saw them last episode. I feel like we have gotten many, many episodes of Voyager where the doctor's like, I have a great big favor to ask. (laughs) And it helps no one on the ship but me. If you could just find it in your heart to not send letters home and instead send me to Jupiter Station through the data stream, that would be great. There's coffee in that data stream. If we send you, there won't be room for anything else. If I, I, I know that I would not have been the popular guy in the writing room on this show. <laughs> but I think they would have kept me around. I think around. in some ways you would be very popular. I think they would have kept me around because I think when they were breaking this scene, I might have raised my finger and said, so if we're going to equate it to the phage, maybe make it like a, this could become something like the phage and we can nip it in the bud now. Oh yeah. Like maybe uh, Dr. Zimmerman is uh, is patient zero. Is that what you're saying? Give some stakes to the thing, you know? Like, I I like that the episode has... Yeah, it's clear no one gives a shit about Zimmerman. Like, what we need is to up the risk, for sure. Yeah, like, this is a pretty long scene, and it's a scene that is largely about the way the EMH can be persistent with arguing his case to the point where he wears Janeway down and gets her to agree to sending him away for a month like they're going to be without ship's doctor for a month so that he can do this project because it involves sending his program to the a quad the the conflict here that goes remarked about here but at no other point is like it is a sacrifice if they send the doctor they send nothing else and the idea that the reply would come and there's Nothing in it but this thing that goes into the the pepper mill that that Barclay's got. Like, <laughs> I want that scene of disappointment where they're like, "Hey, hey, here comes the reply. This is the stuff from Voyager that we were expecting. What is it?" Tom Mervin's like puts on a sweater vest and like puts his shoes on for the first time in months for the clothes you love to live in. And everybody's like, "Is that sweater vest made from?" golden retriever skin (laughs) oh my god what the fuck you know people haven't seen old man mervin's in five and a half seasons (laughs) and he's just coming out now (laughs) yeah as cliche as a caves episode might be this is a doc has a big ass episode yeah i love that janeway knows zimmerman too right like that's a part of it yeah, she met him at a conference. She thought he was an asshole. Enjoy hanging out with that prick. I hate his guts. <laughs> and the EMH is like, hey, I think of him as a father figure. And she's like, yee. Yeah. <laughs> He'll go down in a long line of father figures that are not great. Yeah. We get a fun scene after this in the Six Bay where uh, Seven is lightening the doctor's load for for transfer. And that means removing everything that isn't essential to who he is. So things like singing, more singing, opera singing, all the all the kinds of singings have a K-weight to him. Yeah. She removes his fuck stick. He's not going to get laid on this trip. Yeah. I try to leave a few of my enhancements intact. 
<laughs> I thought the bit of cutting his singing off, like, you know, with a hard edit mid note was great yeah. because I like was in the process of picking up my remote to see if I did something to the TV to turn off the sound when this happened. Like it, it, it really worked. It's not just that the doctor would like to contain all of the skills, qualities, and abilities that his character possesses. It's that like he really does want to impress this guy. And these are qualities that he believes would be impressive to Dr. Zimmerman. And he's expecting kind of proud Papa energy. He has far exceeded what anyone thought his program was capable of. And the rather narcissistic take he has is like, they're going to study me. They're going to be amazed at what I've accomplished. And Dr. Zimmerman is going to be no exception to that. Except he is. He really is. Yeah. Because over on Jupiter Station, uh, we meet Haley, who is preparing Doc Zimmerman's lunch. And I think I begin to understand why Doc Zimmerman is so cranky all the time. Every day for lunch, he appears to be fed a salad plate of mixed greens. Undressed plate of mixed greens, to be precise. Like There's nothing on them. Yeah. As if things weren't bad enough. Now I'm dying of starvation. Maybe that's good for you, but it's not good. If you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm, I'm having two hot dogs for lunch. How about that? Or pork chops, right? You know? Sure. Why not? Who cares? I'll be dead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Reg Barkley brings in this gadget that has the docs program on it and fires it up in Dr. Zimmerman's room after his... Uh, his meltdown over being served dry salad instead of the pork chops he had ordered. Do you think it's important that the doctor is contained in something larger than an isolinear chip? I thought a lot about this. Like, why this vessel? Yeah. Is it too much of a diminishment to, like, have him walk in with a little isolinear chip where the doctor lives? I would have loved to get a reprise of the role of that prop that they put Moriarty in at the end of Moriarty's totally. second episode. This enhancement module contains enough active memory to provide them with experiences for a lifetime. They will live their lives and never know any difference. Yeah, I understand he, he maybe needs something bigger, but I thought this was a strange choice. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Barkley could walk into Daystrom and grab himself a Moriarty cube. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, he fires this thing up. As it is, Barkley like holds the thing over Zimmerman's salad and starts like grinding the doctor <laughs> yeah. out onto it. And he says, "Tell me when." <laughs> Finally, the doctor from Voyager appears. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. Yeah, and meeting Daddy does not go well. Voyager, an EMH Mark One. I'm not in the mood for nostalgia, Reginald. Zimmerman is horrified, not horrified, just like annoyed that Reg Barkley has walked in with a Mark I EMH to bother him with. And he's like, what the fuck do I want with a Mark I? These things suck. They're totally obsolete. It's pretty much the shittiest Mark you can have. Yeah. The later Marks have not cured him of this opinion either. No. I mean, they haven't cured him of this bad Mark opinion or of his debilitating disease. Precisely. And he's also seen like 
flesh and blood doctors on top of the various marks he's seen. Yeah. I mean, initially he he like can't even wrap his mind around the idea that this Mark One wants to attempt to treat him. He's like, like, what are you talking about? You, are you here on vacation? Go somewhere else. I recommend a tour of Jupiter's third moon. I hear the lava flows are lovely this time of year. Zimmerman's got that give up energy that is just so tedious for everyone around him. Like, he doesn't want to be scanned. He doesn't want to be helped. He doesn't want to take those fucking intake questions that everyone needs to answer when they see a new doctor or whatever. Yeah, and he really lights the EMH up. He's like, your program was reconfigured to work on waste transfer barges. And the EMH is like, you mean like pee-pee? And he's like, no. You're a doctor. Use the clinical term. <laughs> God, Mark Ones are such fucking babies. <laughs> All Zimmerman needs to do is accept being scanned, and he won't even do that. Like, this is so annoying to him, to the point where he transfers the Voyager doctor out of the lab and into, uh, like, the home part of the station the, where people live. And yeah. Doc Holliday is leaving. He can't deal with like being sabotaged by this guy. He can't deal with the idea that there's a hollow fly buzzing around. Yeah. But it sucks because he can't go home right away. He's stuck there yeah. for another couple of weeks. This is the worst. I think it's very interesting that this has been a couple of weeks of him, you know, running against this brick wall too. Yeah. And Haley is like, hey, you're actually making progress because the the big complaint in this scene is that he realized that his tricorder had been hacked to give the readings of a Vulcan marsupial. And Haley's like, you know, when he starts playing pranks, that that's how you know you're in. He's like the Clooney of Starfleet. No bits on doctors. Yeah. Right? No, no, <laughs> no bits on AI doctors. So we learn a little bit about Roy the Fly, who uh, we saw climbing all over Zimmerman's uh, salad in the earlier scene. And... Roy the Fly is part of a uh, like a surveillance research project. Not clear whether it's a hologram or a little robot that looks just like a fly, though. He's dead anyway. <laughs> Finally, I've accomplished something. They just smush him with that book. Yeah, RSVP Roy. What's Barkley going to do about this situation? He blows in a FaceTime to his only friend? Hmm. I mean, she kind of blurs the line between friend and therapist, right? Sure. Anyway, he needs to get Doc Zimmerman into counseling, and Deanna Troy is on on the Enterprise, far away. Is it possible, do you think, you could just hop on a shuttle and leave the flagship, the coolest ship in the fleet, and come deal with this bullshit for me? It's not as dangerous as leaving the flagship to go to a conference. No. You know? I thought it was very interesting that we're name-checking the entrepreneur and name-checking Picard. And the idea that Picard is out there commanding a ship and like things need to be run by him so that she can get time to come deal with this. This is like during Star Trek Insurrection or whatever. Like No one really remembers or, or cares what this mission is. She's like, once I'm done with this mission and my boobs get a lot firmer, I can come over there. I need the best, Deanna. That is like the only thing I remember about that movie. That's it. That's the only memorable thing. What does that say about me? It doesn't say anything about you because everyone remembers that same thing and nothing else. (laughs) 
I guess I remember Data like walking across the bottom of that lake. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Really the funniest one, right? Yeah, it's the best. Can't wait to tour it one day. I've got to get that platinum. Get that low enlargement. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back on Voyager, Chicote visits Janeway, and she is troubled by this message she gets from Admiral Hayes. He wants to know how many dead people they've shot out of torpedoes. And <laughs> I mean, that's really two questions in one, right? Right. How many first contacts they've had. And also, what's the deal with the Maquis? Maquis? Because when we lost you, you were sort of entangled with that whole situation. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that they burned the time code in on this uh, Admiral's transmission. Yeah. Yeah, it makes scrubbing around a lot easier. The Maquis thing is the sticking point with Janeway. And Chakotay's like, uh, let's just worry about that in the morning. I mean, in a few years when we see this guy again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, interested in maybe a nice relaxing bath? I love a bath. It's my favorite way of relaxing. He really wants to kick this can and all cans down the road, I think. I think that he's thought about it more than she has, though, in an interesting way. He has to have. I mean, how could he not? It's the most important thing in his career, right? Like, what happens when he returns? Yeah. He's going to end up in one of those uh, psoriasis prisons that Paris got sent to. Yeah. I mean, that looked pretty nice. Work outside in the fresh air, you know? Yeah. Itchy, though. Mm, yeah. Maybe they could give him, like, a cream or an unguent. <laughs> Sounds great. Back on Jupiter Station, they have an inexhaustible amount of mixed greens in the replicator. Yeah. On and on, plate after plate. Dr. Zimmerman has brought in like a Dabo girl to give him a massage. (laughs) You know what? Speaking of Star Trek Insurrection, this lady's Tarlac, which was like a main alien from Star Trek Insurrection. Whoa, no kidding. I haven't gotten a lot of massages, like professional massages, like from from therapists or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't recall many, if any of them, ever being gloved. I wonder if that's a thing. Yeah. Because this lady is rubbing them down with gloves on, and uh, you got to imagine there's a lot of uh, Lower. squeaky sounds. Oh, perfect. Well, I think that, you know, as society becomes more enlightened, more and more people subscribe to the idea that no glove, no love. Mm, mm-hmm. This person is not a Tarlac lady. This person is Doc Holliday. And Zimmerman gets very upset when he discovers that that's the reason that she's been scanning him. Suddenly the EMH has this skill of impersonating whoever he wants. I wish he had been doing this the whole time. (laughs) It kind of just makes him Odo, though. You know? It does, yeah. Mr. Bunker? Yeah. (laughs) Odo, I bet, gives a great massage. Uh, Oh, yeah. Killer. Zimmerman is is extremely pissed off at the subterfuge here because the EMH was secretly scanning him. You! If you'd let me examine you, I'll report you to the medical ethics board. Doctor, save it for your hearing! Great special effect where Tricorder is passed from one Robert Picardo to another. There's a lot of little flourishes like that in this ep. Yeah. And also, like, I think... The moment where Zimmerman says, like, you weren't programmed to care this much, 
is is really powerful. It's like this is before we learn the kind of deeper thing that is making Zimmerman so upset about the doctor's visit. And it still feels super powerful to like, I know what you are and what you're capable of is, is like the position he's taking with Doc Holliday. And when Doc Holliday does stuff that's outside that, it is like troubling and not comforting and not welcome to him. Well, he's constructed a life of this weird version of solitude where like he is by himself, but he's got Haley and the fly guy and the and the lizard or whatever. But like this is a variable in his life that is unwelcome. And I think he was just planning on dying with some sort of of this arranged solitude that he's got. And now he's got basically a child on his doorstep. And that childlikeness of Doc Holliday is like such an interesting presentation because why isn't Zimmerman giving me the respect that Voyager does is such a little kid argument to make, like making simple comparisons like that. Like why isn't one person just like this other person? (laughs) That's, that's Pete kid right there. Yeah. And it's a reminder that that really is his grasp of complex interpersonal relationships. He just doesn't get it. It is at this moment that, Counselor Troy, like Kool Aid Man's into the room. Oh, yeah. And starts working with these two. And it is slow going at first, but she gets them to put on each other's shoes and walk around the room a little bit. And uh, <laughs> I love the line I'd feel safer in the hands of a Klingon field medic. <laughs> great, great yeah, stuff. They're, and they're very quippy. I love the, that uh, he's also afraid of the specific therapy that Doc Holliday has figured out. It's not fit for a lab rat. Because it involves Borg technology. And I can't imagine anybody in Sector 001 would be rightfully terrified of letting any Borg thing get anywhere near them. Yeah, I wish there was more about that in this sphere. But it really is about this Mark Oneness that the Doc presents. And it's interesting to see how easily and early Deanna Troy becomes frustrated with these two patients because you got to believe she's worked with the worst of the worst. Yeah. I mean, she's worked with Barkley. That was my point. Yeah. There's the challenge of acting against yourself on green screen. I think that low-key Marina Sirtis' job in these scenes is really hard and she does a great job with it because one of those Robert Picardos is there in the room with her and the other is not and she is acting off both of them like in compositions that have all three of them on camera at once yeah this might be the best that it's ever been done in Star Trek up to now totally it seems extremely challenging and and she really pulls it off in particular afterward Deanna Troy is not confident in her abilities in this case, and Haley brings Troy a bowl of character development to <laughs> make her feel better. Yeah. Troy knows Haley's a hollow. Yeah. She's a bit like Rachel in uh, Blade Runner. She's a replicant, isn't she? I'm impressed. I thought it was very nice touch that the, uh, that the chocolate ice cream was served in a terracotta pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just to make Troy feel at home. She learns a little bit more about Lewis Zimmerman from Haley 
and his history with developing emergency medical holograms. And one reason for Andy Dick getting cast as the Mark II is that the Mark I was not a successful program and became sort of a talisman of shame for Lewis Zimmerman, a, a thing that he is embarrassed to be associated with. And when they got reprogrammed, uh, he didn't want his face to be on the subsequent versions. It's sort of like wanting to do a successful podcast and like starting out with the Star Trek podcast for practice, but that's the one that gets popular. Mm-hmm. That's the one mm-hmm. you're going to be attached to forever. Right. Very humiliating. Yeah. And, you know, forevermore you see your failure in Star Trek. Yeah. Not your success. Amazing hubris and overconfidence here. Like, he was so sure that the Mark I would be amazing. He's like, I got to put my face on it and everything else. Yeah. Ah, and, and now that... uh the doctor from Voyager has shown up. It's just a reminder of his horrible failure. All of these these hundreds of hollows are supposed to be scrubbing shit. It'd be like um, putting your name on buildings all over the place and then having that taken down as your empire crumbles around you, you know? I know. That night, Doc Zimmerman does the uh, the grim task of recording his will. Gotta believe that this is like one of many nights he spent doing this. Yeah. Kind of feels like he should just say, I'm leaving everything to Barkley because he's like doing individual items and those individual things are going to Barkley. The question of Haley was what really stuck out to me because he's like leaving projects to Barkley and I was like, please do not leave Haley to Barkley. Oh my God, <laughs> that would be a disaster. But his request for Haley is that her program remains running as an assistant in the lab. And man, I thought for sure she'd get emancipated or something. It's so dark. And it it has nothing to do with what she wants or, or what would be good for her. It's like, leave her running as long as this lab is in operation. I think it's the one part of this episode that is just an enormous clang, is that you've got a storyline that features a character who is all about rising to the level of their human co-workers. Like, the doctor has been riding for this for his entire time on Voyager, like, wanting to be seen as an equal. And for him to exist in the very same episode as a Haley character that is made to be okay to just work in a lab for other people forever and ever, it seems like hell. Yeah. Like, the, the Black Mirror story in this episode is right here and it's Haley. She's been as real to me as anyone I've ever known. As I'm hating him for saying this, he starts experiencing pain from his illness. Yeah, don't manipulate me like that, Dr. Zimmerman. (laughs) I was like, did my mind do that to him? (laughs) Yeah. These are guilt pains, right? Yeah. Stabbing conscious pains? Stabbing conscience pains? Yeah. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway, the USS Voyager. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway, the USS Voyager. The next morning, Doc Holliday is talking to Counselor Troy in a facsimile of his office on Voyager where he's been staying 
because Berkeley let him. And um, he's not allowed to stay in Berkeley's quarters, though. N- no, <laughs> you know he's super frustrated. Troy is trying to get him to kind of recommit to the project of attempting to heal Dr. Zimmerman when his matrix starts glitching. They blow in a call to Barkley to see if he can tell him what's going on. Barkley transfers his program. And it turns out Doc Holliday has some, some health problems of his own. Your primary matrix is degrading and there is nothing I can do. This made me think a lot about that first session with Troy and Dr. Zimmerman and the doctor where she's trying to like create a common ground between them. Yeah. I mean, now that the doctor from Voyager has been like given a prognosis like this, it would seem as though that common ground has been found, right? They're both going to die. That is what it's starting to look like. And um, it actually takes Haley to convince Dr. Z to fix the EMH. You know, this this sort of presents itself as seeming like something that's going wrong with the image because of the stuff that was stripped out of his program to make him small enough to transfer across the thousands of light years. It's a real, I've got nipples, could you milk me kind of argument here that Haley's got. I have nipples, can you milk me? Can Doc Zimmerman be as handy with a holographic stabilizer as a hollow woman's heart? Mm-hmm. The idea of uh, holographic milk is maybe the most troubling thing anyone has come up with on Star Trek, yeah. but uh, Haley comes up with it. Yeah. Later, Doc Holliday is, is activated so that Dr. Zimmerman can repair him, but he's quickly deactivated because he's giving too much lip during. <laughs> so there's like a passage of time here where that night Doc Holliday is reactivated for more work, and it's clear at this point that Zimmerman's been working for 17 hours straight, eating nothing but tiny salad plates of spring mix. Yeah. You don't look well. <sighs> the dry greens have been devastated by this entire project, and he's, he's really suffering. He seems very sick, very, very not well. And um, the EMH is, is starting to get worried about his ability to fix him. <laughs> really feels like the shoe's on the other foot. There is a really, really unusual shot here I wanted to see if you recognized. Like, most often when I was working in independent film and video, like, the rack focus was always in, into a subject, always. Yeah. But there's a rack focus out here that felt so different when Zimmerman walks toward the camera and toward the little, like, uh, computer station he's at. Mm-hmm. Like, we're both zooming and focusing out with him in what felt like a really unusual move for Star Trek. Yeah, it's a bit like Cybok approaching the camera in his hostage video in yeah. that way. Pretty neat. We mentioned it before, like the the two of them on camera at the same time as an effects shot is really cool. And like, there are a couple of times where it's racking focus back and forth between the two of them. and. That is an especially cool bit of movie magic because... Yeah, they're selling the duplication. Yeah, like I don't know if that's like a like an effect that they're dropping onto one of them and then the other to do that, but... You know, I, I wonder if maybe I've confused it as an in-camera effect versus something they're doing after the fact. Like, yeah. I wonder if that's what's happening here. 
it's really neat. Like this mm-hmm. is much higher level than they've ever done it before. And like yeah. they've done a really good job with like they've done this a bunch on Star Trek, but this is like really some next level stuff. The doctor takes great umbrage with not that that he's been cured, but with all the improvements that Zimmerman has added to his programming. Like, yeah. why can't Zimmerman just leave him as is? Well, there's an answer to that question. Because you're defective! It's a monologue from Zimmerman. He's absolutely humiliated by the idea of 675 copies of him scrubbing sewers out there. Yeah. And uh, he sees the Doctor from Voyager as an opportunity to like remove him from that population, to make him better, to maybe fix that first broken design. And the EMH is like, that's such an ugly stereotype you're carrying. You know, like all labor is skilled labor, Dr. Zimmerman. And just because somebody works in waste management or or whatever doesn't mean that they're inherently less valuable than you just because you have like a slightly more intellectual sinecure. This is just classic Zimmerman when presented with information that runs counter to his beliefs. He just collapses. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting's a lost start. And if you start to win, I go on my phone. Come on. Yeah. I guess this signals the moment where uh, Doc Holliday needs to begin the experiment or Zimmerman's going to die. I mean, see how it goes isn't, <laughs> isn't a great amount of confidence. But um, I don't know if you're in Zimmerman's situation, you're going to die anyway. Yeah, it's like the treatments aren't working, and so we're getting into a clinical trial kind Mm -hmm. of energy. Yeah. So Clean the illness out of me like uh, you're scrubbing a plasma conduit. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut to Barkley, Troy, and Haley just like hanging out, and it seems pretty clear that they've been hanging out for the entire previous scene and then several hours after it because when they're talking, they're talking like the... EMH just went in to get like his his matrix fixed by Zach, Dr. Zimmerman. But then the EMH marches out and he's like, I did the Borgs thing and I think it's going to work. Anything to end the feeder-grower relationship that Haley has with Troy. Just bowl after bowl of character development. I hardly deserve it, but thanks. Yeah, Haley's a real kinkster. She's, she's giving <laughs> so much chocolate to Troy and so much leafy greens to Dr. Zimmerman. It's like, what yeah. is this about for you, Haley? I mean, what's it about for Dr. Zimmerman for having programmed her that way? <laughs> hey, full recovery, Ben. Yeah, it's looking good. Yeah. And then we find out that this matrix degradation situation was in fact a computer virus that Berkeley put in him. It was an algorithm designed to disrupt him on Troy's orders. This was a kind of outside-the-box therapy technique. Amazing. She manipulated them. I don't think a therapist should get into the business of, like, deceiving their clients. Yeah. (laughs) It seems bad. Well, traditional therapy wasn't getting us anywhere. I mean, if you have any bad feelings about this, I think the episode is very intentional with the... All right, let's get back to the nostalgia part. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's make sure Doc Zimmerman and Doc Holliday, you know, become the father and son that that Doc Holliday was expecting. Yeah. I mean, Doc Zimmerman's looking better, but not good enough to be working all the time. Bed rest is the doctor's order here. Yeah. 
and uh, they pose for a nice picture together, yeah. just the two of them. I think one detail about this photograph that I thought was really interesting was that they have different smiles. Like, I don't know how often you think about your own smile, but Robert Bacardo had to here. Like, I can't smile how I usually would. I got to choose a different smile for two characters. Yeah. And that's what you get here. And also, Doc Holliday is like three inches taller than... Dr. Z? Like, was is that because Dr. Z is wasting away or because Dr. Z kind of like gave himself some Ron DeSantis shoes when he programmed the EMH Mark I? I don't know. I mean, if you were going to make a copy of yourself in hollow form, it feels like one of the improvements would be to maybe make him a little taller. DeSantis those shoes. Weird choice. Yeah. You like the episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with. Most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I really like the episode. I uh, definitely like like one or two moments where I was like, what? you sure about that? You sure about that this episode? The Haley stuff, right? The Haley stuff didn't slap for me. But um, the core of it, the like, I want to go meet Dada and I want Dada to be proud of me and flying into the the teeth of a a bitter man that um whose like real lived experience is very different from what the EMH could ever have imagined is a very interesting story and like you know we've met Zimmerman once before he was an irascible asshole then and is an irascible asshole now but like i feel like when we saw him on deep space 9 he was kind of like I'm a brilliant man that is like working on the follow-up to my magnum opus Mm -hmm. and had the energy of someone whose accomplishments were already so great that he was just so full of himself. And it was an interesting counterpoint to Julian Bashir, who was also totally full of himself Mm -hmm. and, and I, I think made for an interesting episode in that context. And to catch up with the same character years later, humbled and living in a sort of self-imposed ignominy and kind of looking back on his career with as much regret as he does pride is a really interesting thing for Star Trek to do with a character like that. And it's a thing that I don't think that a lot of media franchises can do you know like to to have a a series in a universe that spans so many years and to catch up with people and to have what their legacy means change at different times is like a very a very cool thing that that star trek has the power to do so i really appreciated it do you think this episode and maybe that message loses something some of the nuance anyway, by making the Zimmerman character so loud and boorish and shitty. Like the description you have of Zimmerman with all those complexities is apparent and there, but like his assholery throughout, I think maybe sells a lot of those other qualities short. Like those are the subheads to like the main idea, which is like, shitty person who's shitty to be around. And I wonder, like, Star Trek does this a lot with the Soong people. Right. The Soong relatives. <laughs> in a way that, like, like they almost can't be sincere 
about these characters' troubles, we've got to ham them up somehow. We've got to slather some sort of other different character trait on top because maybe to be that sincere would, I don't know, wouldn't read or wouldn't work for people. I kind of wish that that they had tried that this time around because what I want to be is sad for a character like Zimmerman and I just can't get there. I definitely got there in the scene where he expressed his displeasure with the Mark Ones being waste extraction bots or whatever. Like, for all my, like, class consciousness and not wanting to hang with his feeling of of shittiness surrounding them having, like, blue-collar jobs or whatever, I did feel his pain in that moment. I mean, who among us hasn't created... Uh, an army of unworthy hollow people sure that were then uh, sentenced to a life of <laughs> of waste cleanup yeah you know how that goes we all do <laughs> a different kind of sentence could be found in the priority one message inbox ben is that true in fact i'm going to go see what we've got in there right now priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. And it goes like this. Do you love watching data search for what it means to be human? Do you love MacGuffins that send the Enterprise back in time? Do you love fortune cookies? If you answered yes to any of these, then you'd love some, a whimsical sci-fi novella by Melinda A. Smith. And that's uh, some spelled S-U-M. Some tells the story of Matheson, an android who travels through time searching for his humanity. Melinda A. Smith is a neuroscientist, science fiction writer, author, nerd, and a little sister to an F.O.D., Buy some on Amazon or Barnes & Noble today. I would say don't buy some, buy the whole thing. <laughs> uh, the call to action here is buy my sister's book. And uh, this was sent by Steve, who uh, is, sounds like a, a proud big brother. Hey, that's great. I love this. Yeah. I want to read some. I love the, the character named Matheson. Yeah. For a, a, a book called Some. Uh-huh. Great. It's good stuff. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Adam 2.0. It's to Adam 1.0. The message goes like this. Hey, Adam 1.0. Remember when you had really bad jet lag and gave your mug of London's best house wine to a drunk Shimoda after the show? Turns out she's an evil scientist and now I'm eternally trapped in her personal holodeck. It's okay, life isn't so bad. She's got me on a vegan diet, and I've learned Babylon 5 isn't actually the worst thing in the world. Hmm. <laughs> Weird. Huh. I do remember giving my stage wine to someone. Yeah, and she's got you on a vegan diet now? Weird. Wow. <laughs> I kicked over stage wine at that show. Oh yeah! I brought more stage wine to the uh, to the meet and greet after. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> it. Really was uh, jet lag time traveling for sure. 
Yeah, you were. I'm surprised that you've become vegan, but I really respect it. Oh, yeah. Adam, our final priority one message today is from Christina Chapman, and it is to Jude Ajlin, and it goes like this. I love you. You know it's hard for me to say romantic, lovey things, so I'm kind of uncomfortable. But here are the ways I love you in different languages. Je t'aime plus que tu au monde. Ich liebe dich. Mato, mato, aishitero. Tesoro mio, te amo. Sertlek. Gragel mo croy. And any Mariah Carey album. And again, I love you. You're the bee's knees, babe. Wow. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so <laughs> glad you read that one and not me. Adam, here's how much I love you. I saw that one coming and I changed the order of the priority one messages when you weren't looking so that you wouldn't have to read that. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Thanks, man. That was really great. <laughs> Um, sounds like Jude's got someone who loves them a whole bunch. And I just learned my, my co-host really cares about me a whole bunch <laughs> in the process. If you'd like to get a Priority One message, it is MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Boy, it's a fun way to get a message out about your little sister's new novella or a person you love a whole lot or someone who gave you some stage wine. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I'm going to give it to Zimmerman. Not for anything he does in the episode per se, but for his like employee photo in the chart. That, that kept. That was a great moment. It's, it's on screen in a couple of different scenes in this episode, and <laughs> every time I saw it, I laughed out loud. I thought it was so funny, and I think that... Uh, like Picardo was a real one for this. Like, hey, these are both my characters. I'm gonna have some fun with them. I'm gonna do some big shit with my with my two characters in the Star Trek universe, banging them up against each other for the first time ever. And um, that staff photo, like the like, you are new at your job, and they're like, yeah, we got to take a picture for your employee ID. And this is the face he makes is fucking incredible. <laughs> so often you just get one take. Yeah. That's what you get. <laughs> That's what he got. You got to believe yeah. he's okay with it, too. How about you? Did did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? That was a very convincing reason. I mean, my pick was Zimmerman, too, but for a different reason. But God, that detail really <laughs> sticks with me. It says a lot about a character in very little time. And I think that's what I like about it the most. It's just like a shot. Yeah. yeah. But like, it really conveys a lot of information about what's important to Zimmerman. And... That photograph was not. <laughs> it was not, not great. <laughs> All right, Adam. Uh, I'm going to go find out a little bit about the next episode of Star Trek Voyager. It's season six, episode 25, The Haunting of Deck 12, which is kind of perfect for this spooky holiday, right? I know, this episode comes out the day before Halloween. Just gonna miss it with uh, the haunted episode. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? We should, <laughs> we should have started The Greatest Generation like half a week earlier I know. back in the day so that we would have been lined up perfectly. We blew it! We 
totally fucked up. Well, the episode description is Neelix recounts the harrowing tale of Voyager's newest uninvited guest. Is Neelix the best storyteller on Voyager for this? Uh, I mean, Chakotay would make it like a like a spiritual experience, right? That's what she says. This better not be fucking bedtime with Naomi Wildman. Like, I don't want that. Get that out of here. <laughs> if that's what this is. I don't think we're going to have any listeners next week because uh, people are going to be so goddamn sick of uh, all this spooky season stuff by the time next week's episode comes out, right? Oh, I, I bet they'll stick around. People love Halloween. Wow. So this episode comes out on the 30th of October? The one we're recording right now, yeah. Yeah. I will have turned 40 by the time this episode comes out. Adam, I'm joining you in the, in, in the 40s, finally. Welcome. <laughs> I've been waiting for you for a long time. Oh, boy. Hope you're excited for all of your shit to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> I am on gach.biz slash game, where Friends of DeSoto can follow along as we play the game of buttholes will of the caretaker and uh, the runabout is right at the end of the board game adam we are on the last square before that mornhammered square and uh, i'm gonna go ahead and roll the dice see if we hit a thing or if we safely roll any of the other numbers and go past the thing you're required to learn as you play roll one out of six chance. Adam, I regret to inform you that I have rolled a one. A lemonade! <laughs> the antidote! Of course you have. We have landed on a Mornhammer episode for next week. Great. I love it. <laughs> I'm just looking at our production calendar. Uh... We are scheduled to record two greatest gens back to back on the day that we are scheduled to record this. Maybe we can move things around a little bit. How about new? Just our luck, right? Yeah, yeah. Big episode next week. I should have known, man. You're always the one that that goes through the metal detector and gets flagged at the airport. There is no way you're gonna roll anything besides a one just then. You're gonna get got. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to get through square 100. <laughs> You're getting stopped. Yeah, yeah, man. All right, well, that's that's what's going on next week. Sorry, everybody. Been a while. It has been a while. We really appreciate all the folks that support what we do here. There's a lot of ways to support it. If you've got a little bit of extra money every month, five bucks or whatever... Uh, MaximumFun.org slash join is a great way to make sure that this thing keeps going and, uh, you know, keeps us in pod fluid and, you know, money to support our growing team of professional helpers, not least of which on that team is uh, Wendy Pretty, who is the full-time producer and editor of these shows. Uh, she's so talented and so funny and so fucking organized. I can't even believe how lucky we are to have her. And uh, she needs your support, too. A free way to support is just leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts or recommend the show to a friend or family member or, uh, you know, leave a comment about how much you like it on social media. Yeah, we're coming up on a season where uh, families are getting together. 
mm. for holidays and so forth. Why don't you say you you turn uh, what would ordinarily be an awkward conversation mm-hmm. into something extremely awkward? Yeah. With the suggestion of our shows. When your uncle has had like one too many Coors Lights mm-hmm. at the Thanksgiving table. It was great with turkey. Maybe turn the conversation to a pee-pee-poo-poo-based Star Trek podcast that the whole family can enjoy. Yeah. We got to thank Bill Tilly, who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts on uh, all of the relevant social media platforms and some of the irrelevant ones. We got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made the Janeway song, our theme music. And Dark Materia, who made the original theme music that we uh, began using with our very first episode. We are deeply grateful for all of the support and all of the friends we've got out there. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that presupposes that maybe Ben and Adam look even worse than Neelix when we shine a flashlight up from under our chin. I mean, you look worse because uh, we're shining a black light under your chin. Oh, I'm not John Hole. <laughs> Spooky. Make it show. Dark material and dark mat- and dark mat- Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.